When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey there, welcome to The Tent. I'm your host, Scott Fellman, and it's time for yet another foray into the world of aquariums from a slightly different perspective. You know, when we first, in, you know, were indoctrinated into the aquarium hobby, and I'm talking about we meaning like everybody, we were typically advised to purchase, you know, an aquarium, a heater, and a filter. A filter, yep. Uh, one of the more basic components of an aquarium is filtration, right? And with filtration, you have the collateral effect of water movement in the aquarium. This is a topic which... We as aquarists typically give modest amounts of thought to other than just determining what type and size of filter to use in our tank. Then it's on, you know, sexier stuff like what kind of wood do I use in my aquascape or whatever. Now, we spent a lot of time contemplating the look and feel of our botanical style aquariums and wrapping our head around all the various mental shifts that we tell you are necessary to really appreciate and embrace this approach. You know, uh, learning not to fear the tinted water, decomposing botanical materials, biofilm, detritus, blah, 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 all that stuff that I talk about every day. And that's really great, and it's foundational. However, I must admit that one of the other foundational things that we don't talk about as much as we should, likely, is filtration. We get so many questions about this topic. Yeah, the ubiquitous, necessary, and highly important function of filtration in our aquariums is definitely something that we, as lovers of leaves and botanicals, need to give a little thought to when we set up our tanks. And the reality is that in a botanical-style natural aquarium, filtration and water movement are influential and pretty important in the grand scheme of things. Now, as with any aquarium, it's important to apply filtration that keeps up with the specific needs of your tank and its inhabitants. Of course, with the heavily botanical-influenced aquarium that we play with, there's the added consideration of all those leaves and seed pods and all that stuff. So these items not only are part of the hardscape, if you will, their ephemeral nature makes them a component of the bioload of the system. And due consideration needs to be paid to their impact on the closed system environment. Remember, leaves, seed pods, and all that stuff are ephemeral in many aspects, slowly decomposing and breaking down, releasing not only bits and pieces, but organic materials as well. And that's where filtration comes in. Now, filtration is kind of a tricky word. I mean, what essentially are we thinking? There's different types of filtration. I'm not going to get into that here. And there's mechanical, biological, chemical, blah, blah, blah. Well, nature provides her own form of filtration in the form of the nitrogen cycle, right? And the bacteria which accompany it. Bacterial biofilms, which are the bane of many a new aquarist, are actually a true benefit because of what, what they're comprised of. You know, bacteria, hello. And for the potential supplemental food source they become. And uh, I'm digressing again. But look. Fungal growth and all that stuff also serves to physically break down and process some of the botanical materials and their accompanying organics from the water column. Uh, we've talked about this a lot. Now, I'm no filter expert. I'm not an aquarium gearhead. In fact, I don't really care much for the gear, although being a reefer, I guess I, I have a little bit of knowledge of stuff. I mean, it neither excites me or stimulates ideas for me like it does with some people. Uh, but overall, it's not my hobby obsession. I, I do view it as something necessary to operate mini aquariums. <laughs> Shit, I'm, sounds like I'm the perfect guy to talk about filters and filtration, aren't I? 
Look, my topics on this are based, like everything I talk about, on my personal experience and ideas laced with a healthy dose of, you know, opinions and downright freaking stubbornness. So here's the long and the short of this topic. Let me just make it easy for you. You can use just about any type of filter available in the hobby on your botanical style, blackwater, brackish, aquarium, whatever. The real considerations, in my opinion, are A, where in the water column you're bringing in the water to the filter from, and B, where the outputs are aimed. Oh, and C, what media you're using in the filter. So with that super generalized statement, let's look a tiny bit closer. Now look, I've used all sorts of filters on my botanical style aquariums over the years, but the ones I tend to use will surprise you. Well, maybe, maybe not. Look, as a reefer, I love my tanks with built-in overflows and sumps. I love sumps. I love them because, well, they're not true filters in the sense that there's, you know, you're generally using them to separate mechanical, you know, debris from the water. But I love them because, A, you don't see any of that ugly shit, you know, heaters and stuff like that in the tank proper. Oh, and, and that damn glassware. Well, I know some of you like that stuff. I will get to that later. Um, they pretty much suck in every possible way. I hate them. Um, we could have that discussion some other time. Okay. I'll bet you it'll come up again in this talk. <laughs> um, B, sumps add water volume to your tank. And as that old sayings goes, dilution is the solution to pollution and, you know, stability. So having more water volume is never a bad thing. C, sumps provide a area where you can keep filter media, biological media, even botanicals, wood, etc., etc., to influence conditions in the display aquarium. Like, if you just absolutely freaking hate the look of leaves and decomposing stuff in your display, but you love the whole black water thing and the tinted water and all this biodiversity we talk about, sumps are a great choice. A really great choice. Uh, indeed, they rely on surface overflow wares to supply water. Now, the neat thing about overflows is that they skim their water from the surface, removing the film which accumulates and can interfere with gas exchange. And it's important when you have a lot of botanical material in your tank breaking down, right? And that, that air-water interface is where a lot of the protonaceous waste accumulates. So that's kind of cool. Now, so-called all-in-one tanks, like uh, my beloved innovative marine fusion lagoon system or my Ultim Nature Systems AIOs offer sort of a hybrid of a sump, in this case, a rear-mounted external filter compartment and an external filter, making an affordable, simple, aesthetically clean, easy-to-maintain and operate system. I really, really like them, and I highly recommend them if you're like me and you hate seeing extraneous gear sitting in your tank. Now, look, I realize not everybody wants the expense, the logistics, the challenges, and the additional considerations, you know, return pumps, space under the tank, which go along with the use of sumps, so the all-in-ones might work. I also realize that the majority of freshwater hobbyists utilize glass aquariums without overflows and stuff, so there's numerous other options for you to play with. And, of course, you can employ those ubiquitous, ever-popular canister filters. Yes, you knew I'd talk about them again. Shit, canister filters necessitate the need for glassware, don't they? Yes. Ah, <laughs> Look, in my opinion, you should direct the return from canister filters near the surface to create a little agitation and, again, to facilitate gas exchange. You know, unlike purely pure planted aquariums where there's a definite benefit from using those damn lily pipes and all that stuff to you know, return the water well below the surface to preserve the precious CO2, I personally believe that heavily stocked botanical-style aquariums can benefit from surface agitation. Oh, did I mention that I hate those pipes? Yes, I probably did. Just wanted to make sure one more time. To be clear, I fucking hate them. And yeah, I've broken a bunch over the years, and maybe that's partially the reason why. I don't know. Maybe you can relate. Now, you can return some of the water towards the lower levels of your tank to keep things sort of stirred up a bit without blowing shit all over the tank. That's a technical term, by the way. 
Um, so you have to plan how you do that. Um, and of course, outside power filters do the same thing. They keep everything relatively neat and tidy and potentially outside of the tank, if you like, except for the intake tubes. Oh, and sponge filters are pretty cool. And those so-called matin filters, because they're primarily biological filters and they're pretty rel relatively easy to hide in displays. Now, look, I've spent a, a fair time, <coughs> excuse me, alleviating <coughs> the fears of you weirdos who don't want to see seed pods and all that kind of stuff in your tank physically by explaining that you can just toss these things into your filter or your sump. And of course, it goes without saying that you can utilize all these filters with the botanicals present in the display as well, of course. Like, duh. The real issue, if you want to call it that, with filtration um, in regards to our botanical style aquariums is what media you utilize. Again, I call in my reef keeping experience and tell you that I'm a huge fan of activated carbon. I use it in every tank I set up, even the ones with the gnarliest, yes, it's a word, that's how we talk here in LA, deal with it, <laughs> even with the gnarliest, darkest tint imaginable. I just love activated carbon. I know people are saying, carbon, what the fuck, Feldman? Yeah, carbon can remove some of the tint and probably even some of the valued humic substances and other beneficial compounds that the botanicals are exuding. It's not selective. That being said, it can also remove impurities like volatile dissolved organic compounds, urea, some metals, etc. It's valuable stuff. <clears throat> Excuse me. And it's not going to take out every bit of the, the, the tint you want unless you go crazy with it. Just don't overdo it. Of course, if you want to leave leaves in your tank, but you don't want the tint, that, that pretty color, as we've discussed many times, just use the manufacturer's recommended dose of carbon and have the best of both worlds. I mean, for you, you've got a clear tank and you've got botanicals. Woohoo. <laughs> Better as chemical filtration media, in my opinion, would be stuff like the specialized ion exchange or organic scavenger resins and zeolites, stuff which requires a little more research, trial and error, and testing. But it's possible, at least in theory, to incorporate filtration media, which remove the undesirable pollutants and yet retain the desired humic substances and tannins. Oh, and the proper biological filtration or biological function in low pH you know, systems, fostering the biome of these tanks. We've talked about that a lot. I won't get too much into that today. We'll see where my conversation takes me. <laughs> I like the polyfilter pads by Polybiomarine. They're a uh, remove or they remove organics and stuff like ammonia, even in low pH, you know, systems, <clears throat> excuse me, gosh, my throat, right. And even in, uh, years of working with this stuff, I've never seen it remove substantial amounts of that tinted color in the water caused by tannins from the botanicals. Now, yes, that's hardly a scientific assessment of the stuff, but I believe in it. I've used it for decades and pretty much every type of aquarium, fresh brackish reef that I've maintained with really excellent results. You could do the research on this product. It's been around for years. I like it. And back to those specialized resins and stuff like that. These things are something we will see more of in the future. Trust me, uh, there are numerous materials out there used in other water purification work that will definitely work with our aquariums. In the meantime, you can just continue to use materials like activated carbon, purigen, etc. to do the trick. Just be aware of the way they work and what they'll do. If you go full power, i.e. the manufacturer's recommended dose, as I just said, you'll have a really clear tank if that's what you want. Nonetheless, I like Adore Seachem Purigen. It's what they call a macroporous synthetic polymer, aka a synthet organic scavenging resin that removes soluble and insoluble impurities from water by adsorption. In other words, it cleans stuff up like really well. I think every aquarist that on earth should have Purigen in their box of fish stuff, not just for regular use, but for, you know, emergencies and stuff like that. It's really good stuff. Yeah, you could use no filter or just aeration 
or even just employ a surface skimmer and no other filter. This surface skimmer would facilitate gas exchange and provide some aeration. There's lots of things you can do. Again, that air water interface. I just jumped from chemical filtration media to uh, just alternative filters. I'm sorry about that. I'm, that's the way my mind thinks here. But that air water interface is sort of the boundary, technically called the surface microlayer by scientists, where all exchange occurs between the atmosphere and the aquatic environment. Now, interestingly, the chemical, physical, and biological properties of that surface microlayer can differ significantly from the water just a few centimeters below the surface. In nature, the concentration of these surface compounds depends upon the source of the nutrients as well as weather, stuff like rain and wind. These organic compounds on the surface impact the very physical and light admittance properties on the air-water surface. Makes sense, right? And as aquarists, the biggest concern is that the surface film can interfere with gas exchange. Oh, and some people say it looks like shit, like I used to say that, and well, does it? I mean, we embrace turbid water and decomposing, you know, leaves and detritus and stuff, so why not accept some surface film? No, I just, I don't like it. Just don't like it. I mean, we could. However, keep in mind that whole gas exchange thing, that's really important. And now, again, bouncing all over the place, you would have to obey the fundamental principles of aquarium management, water exchanges, proper stocking, careful feeding, etc. However, you can do this, you can just... That's your filter. They've done it many, many times. We've especially done this with those urban agapo type tanks, which rely on the biotia in the tank as a result of the substrate, the vegetation, and the botanical materials that are present. It's kind of a throwback, if you will, to the earliest days of the aquarium hobby when uh, process and active management perform many of the same functions as filtration does today. You can keep a tank with no filter. When we consider the aquarium itself as a living, breathing entity, one that has levels of, you know, levels of life forms performing the biological filtration function. Like bold experiments like this aren't really that bold. They're not that weird. I mean, it's again, it's kind of a throwback. It's a kind of a real open source component to what we do here. I mean, it's an invitation and an opportunity for you, the working chorus, to make a big impact on this hobby, fostering benefits we might not have even thought of, although it's been done for hundreds of years without filters. And there's all kinds of benefits that you can realize. So at the end of the day, use what works for you, what benefits your fishes, and what creates the best outcomes for them. There's so many approaches to filtration, any of which could work for you. The concept of filtration itself is constantly evolving. Now, to me, besides the obvious benefits of utilizing media, which can remove you know, impurities and organics on a continuous basis, the most important ones are circulation and gas exchange or aeration. So you could just use a damn air stone as far as I'm concerned, if that's the concern. It works. Let's touch a little bit more on that thought we just hit on about the botanical style aquarium as the filter. So my thinking has been that you could actually use the tank itself and the botanical environment as the biological filter and simply use that aeration or surface skimming and or circulation pumps to facilitate the gas exchange. Now, this, again, is not at all revolutionary. It's been done for generations, but it's an idea that's often overlooked today. Uh, the botanical materials that are present in our systems... I mean, think about this. The botanical materials that are present in our systems provide enormous surface area upon which these beneficial bacterial biofilms and fungal growths can colonize. And they utilize the organic compounds present in the water as a nutritional source. Oh, and the part about the biofilms and fungal growths sounds awful familiar, doesn't it? Like, let's talk about our buddies, the biofilms, just one more time. I know we've talked about them a hundred times here, but one more time. Nothing seems as contrary to many hobbyists than to sing the praises of these gooey-looking stuff, but let's think about this. Now, structurally, 
biofilms are surprisingly strong structures, which offer their colonial members as sort of an onboard nutritional source, an exchange of metabolites, protection, and cellular communication. They form extremely rapidly on just about any hard surface that's submerged in water. When I see aquarium work in which biofilms are considered a nuisance and suggestions that it can be eliminated by reducing nutrients in the aquarium, I usually just cringe. Mainly because no matter what you do, biofilms are there. They're ubiquitous and they're always present in our aquariums. We may not see that famous long stringy snot of our nightmares, but the reality is that they're present in our tanks regardless on every surface. The other reality is that biofilms are something that we as aquarists typically fear because of the way they look. And in and of themselves, biofilms are not harmful to our fishes. They function not only as a means to sequester and process nutrients, a filter of sorts, I guess, they also represent a beneficial food source for fishes. Now look, I can see rare scenarios where massive amounts of biofilms, you know, relative to the water volume of the aquarium, can consume significant quantities of oxygen and be problematic for the fishes which reside in your tank. You know, these explosive biofilm growths are usually the result of adding too much botanical material too quickly to the aquarium and they're exacerbated by insufficient oxygenation and circulation within the aquarium. It's possible. These are very unusual circumstances resulting from a combination of missteps by the aquarist. Now, typically, however, biofilms are far more beneficial than they are even remotely detrimental to our aquariums. I really believe that. And it's something that we just sort of, again, have to wrap our heads around. Nutrients in the water column, even when in low concentrations, are delivered to the biofilm through this real complex system of water channels where they're absorbed into the biofilm matrix, where they become available to the individual cells. Now, some biologists feel that this is a really efficient method of gathering energy, and it might be a major evolutionary advantage for biofilms, which live particularly in turbulent ecosystems like streams or even aquariums, right? With significant flow, where the nutrient concentrations are typically lower and quite widely dispersed. Kind of interesting. Look, biofilms have been used successfully in water or wastewater treatment for like 100 years in these types of filtration systems, the medium, which is typically sand, offers an enormous amount of surface for the microbes to attach to and to feed upon the organic material and the water being treated. And that formation of biofilms along the media consume the undesirable organics in the water, effectively filtering it, kind of like, you know, bioballs worked in the 80s, early days of the reef hobby. Biofilm acts as an absorbent layer in which those organic materials and other nutrients are concentrated from the water column. As you might you know, sort of suspect here, higher nutrient concentrations tend to produce biofilms that are thicker and denser than those grown in lower nutrient concentrations. The biofilms that grow in these real high-flow environments like streams, rivers, or areas exposed to wave action tend to be denser in their morphology. These biofilms tend to form long stringy filaments or streamers which point in the direction of the flow. And these biofilms are characterized by a phenomenon known as viscoelasticity. I always mispronounce that. Viscoelasticity. And what that means is that they're flexible and stretch out significantly in higher flow rates and, you know, contract once again when the velocity of the flow is reduced. Basically, it's like snot. So I just described snot. Yeah, that's what I did. Okay, it's probably way more than you want to know about the physiology of biofilms, which I just adore. But regardless, it's important for us as botanical-style aquarists and nerds to have at least a rudimentary understanding of these really misunderstood, incredibly useful, and entirely underappreciated life forms. 
And the whole idea of facilitating a microbiome in our aquariums is predicated upon supplying a quantity of botanical materials, specifically leaf litter for the beneficial organisms to colonize and begin the decomposition process with. An interesting study I found by a guy named Mearing in 2014 on nutrient sequestration caused by leaf litter yielded in really interesting passages I want to leave to you. Find it. Oh, here it is. Okay. So during leaf litter decomposition, microbial biomass that accumulated inorganic materials immobilize and retain nutrients and therefore both biotic and abiotic drivers may influence detrital nutrient content. You're like, what does that mean? Well, the study determined that leaves like oak which is one of our favorites, immobilized, and that's the term they use, nitrogen. Generally thinking, it's thought that leaf litter acts as a sink for nutrients over time in aquatic ecosystems. Oh, and one of the more, you know, one of the more interesting things about leaves is that their detritus, especially in tropical streams, is really important. And in fact, ecologists strongly believe that microbial colonized detritus is more palatable and nutritious as a food source for the detritivores than uncolonized dead leaves. So it's actually better. <laughs> the microbial growth that occurs on these leaves and the resulting detritus increases the nutritional quality of leaf detritus because of that microbial biomass on the leaves and it's more digestible than just the leaves themselves because of lignans and all that stuff. Okay, great. I've, again, just talked about decomposing leaves and sung the praises of mucus for the 11,000th time here on the tent. So where does this leave us in terms of how we want to run our aquariums? Let's just sort of summarize. Uh, when it comes to leaves and botanicals, number one, just add a significant amount of leaf litter, twigs, and botanicals to your aquarium as part of the substrate. Now, allow the Number two, allow the biofilms and fungal growths to sort of proliferate there. Um, three, feed your fishes really well. It's actually feeding the whole aquarium. Uh, four, don't go crazy siphoning out every bit of detritus. Let's just look at these points in just a little bit more detail before I leave you today with your head spinning. Now, now first, make liberal use of leaf litter in your aquarium. I'd build up a layer anywhere between one inch to four inches of leaves. Yeah, I know that's a lot of leaves. Initially, you'll have a big old layer of leaves recruiting biofilms and fungal growths on their surfaces and you're gonna be pissed off at me. Ultimately, this stuff's gonna start breaking down. It's gonna decompose, creating an almost sort of a mulch on the bottom of your aquarium, rich in detritus and providing an excellent place for your fishes to forage among. We've talked about this for years and I've run many successful systems this way. Allow a fair amount of indirect circulation over the top of your leaf litter bed. And this will ensure oxygenation and allow the organisms within, the, within that leaf litter bed to receive an influx of water and thus the dissolved organics that they utilize. Now sure, some of the leaves might blow around from time to time, just like what happens in nature. It's no big deal, really. The idea of allowing these biofilms and fungal growths to colonize your leaves and botanicals and to proliferate upon them simply needs to be accepted as fundamental to botanical style aquarium keeping. Just simple as that. These organisms which comprise the biome of our aquariums are the most important components of the ecosystems which our aquariums really are. The filtration, if you will. So it means adopting a different outlook, accepting a different yet very beautiful aesthetic. And it's about listening to nature instead of the asshole on Instagram with the flashy gadget-driven pristine tank that you can give birth in. It's not always fun at first for, for a lot of people, and I get it. And initially it seems like you're doing things all wrong. You've got this tank full of goo and broken down stuff. It's about faith. Faith in Mother Nature, who's been doing this stuff for eons. It's about nuance. It's about looking at things a bit differently than we've been programmed to do in the aquarium hobby for so long. When we take words like filtration and take them to heart, 
about not being afraid to question the reasons why we do things a certain way in a hobby and to seek ways to evolve and change practices for the benefit of our fishes. It takes time to grasp this stuff, I get it. However, as with so many things we talk about here, it's not revolutionary. It's simply an evolution in thinking about how we conceive, set up, and manage our systems. That term filtration has a completely different meaning in our context. The idea of filtration is much about incorporating natural processes into our aquariums as it is about employing some piece of gear, perhaps even more so. Think about that for a little bit as you recover from this podcast. Until next time, thanks for spending part of your day with me. This is Scott Feldman, and I've enjoyed having you along on the tin.